This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello, this is Matt. Kose. Mark. Ian. James. Mel. Zach. This is David. This is PSG Talking. Le seul podcast sur le PSG en anglais. Hello and welcome back for another episode of PSG Talking. I'm your host Ed and today I'm joined by Mel and Pola. Mel, how are you doing today? Good, man. How are you? Hanging in there. A lot of news to talk about. Uh, Pola, how are you doing over there in Paris? Everything well? Yeah, everything's good. Thanks. And hi, everyone. Fantastic. Well, the bombshell news that came out this week, the league on season is uh, canceled. Uh, no sporting events will take place in, in France until September, before September. And so PSG have now been crowned champions. So that's kind of a, the big major news that's been happening in the world of PSG. And so, Mal, let's start with you. What was your instant reaction to both the cancellation and now PSG winning their ninth league title? Uh, just another bombshell reminding us how serious this is. Um, you know, sport is such a big cultural phenomenon you know, but we have put it to the back burner, even though in my hometown they're still producing a sports section, even with nothing in it. But it's just a big bombshell. It's just a wow, you know, like this remains very, very serious. You know, the United States has lost more people in this than they lost during the Vietnam War. And that's a phenomenon that's happening around the world. And France, thank goodness, is taking it seriously. So that was my first reaction. Right. Yeah. Paula, what did you think about it when that news came down? Well, I wasn't too surprised, to be honest, but perhaps because I'm here and I've been through this lockdown uh, since March 17th and I've been following what the government's been doing and no, it didn't come as a big surprise. I was I was still hoping that we would play some games, but, you know, in the back of my head, I had this voice like, no, it's, that's it. Yeah, when I heard the news, I thought it was a slightly premature. I know that it's a it's a very serious situation, obviously, but I thought that the, they still had some time to see play it out and see what maybe other leagues uh, were going to do. You know, the French league was the first of the big five to make a move, and I didn't anticipate that. I thought maybe they would wait to see what Serie A did with Italy pr- probably being hit harder by this, see what they do first, and then maybe follow their lead, but. You know, the French League wanted to be the leaders in this. And apparently there's been some reports that they're calling around to other leagues saying, you know, follow what we did and let's just end it. Otherwise, you're going to have some teams playing, some not. Then the Champions League comes around. It's going to be really weird. So to that point, what are some of the consequences from the cancellation do you see that that you foresee in this? Will, Will you see clubs, you know, go bankrupt in France? And do you think some of the other leagues, Premier League, maybe will they follow suit? And should they? Uh, Paula, we'll, we'll go with you. Yeah, you know, I'm generally an optimist in my life, but here it's hard to be optimistic. Um, You know, this uh, championship right now is bittersweet. Yes, we won, and we should not take that for granted because there was a time when PSG was not winning every year, right? So it's still a win. It's still a championship, another cup that we have. At the same time, I'm really worried about the fitness level of our players if you know, if and when Champions League happens, but also I am worried about the financial aspect. I have a feeling that the French League will be hit pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Do you think that some clubs could potentially go bankrupt without government assistance? And do you think the government should assist with so many people struggling? Do you think that some of these clubs should be saved if they need it? 
Yeah, I think um, some of them will be in, in danger of, of going bankrupt. Some of the smaller clubs um, in, in some of the regions where there may not be that much funding available for them. And I have a feeling that if the government has a choice between helping uh, people keep their businesses and helping a sports team, they will go with the former option. Uh, but I think maybe local sponsors, local governments will be able to do something about that. And I wonder if this will be a start of maybe getting fans involved a little bit more. We live in the age of crowdfunding and things like that. Perhaps it's an opportunity for clubs to have membership and things like this. Who knows? Yeah, that's but a really good point. definitely is a danger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was just working on a piece right before the podcast started where Canal Plus is not going to honor their contract because the, the season's canceled, so there's no games to broadcast. And so along with being sports, hundreds of millions of dollars are not going to be given to the league and eventually filtered down to the club. So Mel, what do you foresee? I mean, that that's a lot of money these clubs are going to be missing out on, and not everyone has the financial power of PSG. Um, so I mean, what do you think is going to happen with this? Well, I think part of the reason that League On was calling around is because their declaration closing their season mm -hmm does create a liability for the other leagues. Mm -hmm. If the French league is doing it on the basis of the best possible science and other leagues are closed slash open too early, then those players, if they do get the virus, if something does happen, are going to be able to point to the French league and say, they paid attention to science, they closed, you should have closed, I should have played. Right? So this is about the French league recognizing and calling around and saying, let's all manage the liabilities together. Uh, and, and close for the season. I think small clubs like, you know, in France, in Paris, we know Red Star, mm -hmm. you know, see, I think the best strategy for them is to really lay out how many people they directly and indirectly employ on game day and throughout their businesses. They need to talk about themselves as employers to put themselves in the best possible chance of uh, being seen as deserving of funding in the way that we just talked about earlier. So, I think that you are going to see clubs at the national level and everything else um, really struggle because they live day, day to day, game to game. Um, and I think some of them will go away. I think we're not going to have the same landscape when we come back that we had. When we started. Yeah. That your first point, I mean, both points were great, but that first point about the liability issue is something I didn't really think about. And the premier league just seems hell bent on pushing through this season. And there was a piece in, I think it was the athletic today that, some of the players, probably a, a sizable portion of them, really don't want to play. I mean, they're going to have to squeeze in a lot of games and a lot of other different cups and whatever, the Champions League. And these players are worried, obviously, I would think about injury and just does it even feel right? I mean, people are still dying by thousands. And is, is this the right thing to be doing right now? I think in England, it's a little bit different where football is just put much more on a pedestal than maybe here in, in France. And so they see it as a way to bring the country together and maybe that's why they're doing it. But you're right. I mean, if, if several players get sick from this or people start going down with injury, people are going to look at league on and be like, you know, they did the right thing. And so I think that's a really smart point. Um, what about in terms of like the transfers? So you have some of these teams, France uh, league on is known as the league of talents. Do you see some teams needing to sell off some of their prize assets, maybe a little bit early to get money coming in and could PSG potentially capitalize off of that? Paula, do you see any, possibility in that well you know i think you're asking a question that um you know front offices right now are discussing in their 
Zoom meetings, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there is really no simple answer right now. I think there are so many factors that get into that, you know, the, you know, needing the cash. I think they're, I think they're going to look into selling some of their players, some of their assets. But another question is, will anybody be able to buy at mm. this time? So I think the discussion is going to be there, whether any sales actually happen like they were planned before. I, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, and Nasser, he, the PSG president, did say that he's expecting colossal financial losses from this season. Um, mm -hmm. Mel, do you think PSG will be able to maybe take a couple star players from some of the lower league French teams and bring them in? Or do you just think, in terms of transfer market, nothing much is going to happen whenever it does open? I think you say it depends on a lot of factors. I think that's exactly correct. Yeah, I think that there are going to be front offices right now are looking at sort of day and date triggers uh, from other entities that they can't control in order to begin to think about certain things. So what they're planning is, well, when the government says X, then we'll be able to do Y. When he says Y, we'll be able to do Z. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're planning, you know, a lot of if-then scenarios, um, which I think um, uh, will, you know, if certain things happen in a certain order, then certain things can be triggered. And I think that's the way to look at it. You know, clubs like PSG, Manchester City, clubs with a lot more resources, um, you'd think can absorb a lot more losses, but they have bigger losses to absorb as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that has to be factored, you know, as well. I think that, you know, the, the transfer situation will not become clear until the remuneration situation for this season is finalized, one, and two, whatever date for the start of the next season is actually established. You know, there's still talk right now about having maybe a 30-game season or a 28-game season and cutting out those first 10 weeks because they don't think they're going to be able to bring players back in groups to even train until the normal time of the start of the season. So there's a lot of things being floated around right now. And I think it's, you're right in that it's the front office's job to be on Zoom calls and to be talking about potential scenarios and have plans A through X mm -hmm. to roll out, depending on the scenario. And let's not forget that even when lockdowns are lifted, if even when football can come back, the virus is not going to magically disappear. Um, there will still be a lot of considerations. Um, I mean, can you really let 50,000 people into one stadium if, in, in a few months? I think it will depend on what we keep hearing about flattening the curve. And France has been hit so hard. It's one of the top countries with the most deadly cases. So I think this will really delay the transfer transfer talks. And more and more media outlets are suggesting that this is actually good for us as far as keeping Mbappe and Neymar. Mm -hmm. so. Well, that would be one plus out of all of this. I want to get you guys mm -hmm. both on the record. We know the situation in France, but do you see any of the other big leagues in Europe canceling their season? Uh, Paula, do you think anyone else will? I think this this will happen eventually. If if I'm going, if you're forcing me to say yes or no, I'm more leaning towards yes. Oh, okay. I think I think this will be maybe peer pressure too. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, Mel, do you think any of the big leagues will also cancel their season? I think that all of them will, except for the English Premier League. Um, I think the English Premier League and the Championship won't today. Boris Johnson, uh, the uh, the Britain's Prime Minister, who himself went through 
intensive care for the coronavirus after um, ignorantly shaking hands and ignoring scientific advice. Today, he's already talking about how Britain has passed the peak. Uh, and, and so, you know, Britain has this sort of, you're right, it's a combination of the sport culture having such primacy, mm-hmm. uh, football culture having such primacy in Britain, but they're also a little bit stubborn in that way. Uh, and I think that they will be the last to, to make the decision uh, to be seen as the ones fighting for football the longest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think even they, in the end, will will cancel, but they'll be last. Yeah. Valid point about them being sort of separate, you know, with... We don't want to go We're too seeing. much into politics, but yeah. So when you when they say it's coming home, they mean the coronavirus. <laughs> if they keep it for everyone. Yeah. So uh, what can you do? Well, we'll switch gears slightly. We'll get out of the the politics world. And what I want to talk about is the player wages. So PSG earlier this year it was revealed that they had the third highest wage in in Europe. And so with the with the coronavirus and the, and the loss in revenue that PSG is going through, the colossal financial implications, the players are still refusing to cut their wages. Now, Neymar and some of the other players are making donations and things like that, so they're not you know cold and heartless people. But do you think that the, the players should show some goodwill? A lot of their the employees uh, at PSG have taken pay cuts. Do you think that the players, considering how much they earn, should take a pay cut here, Mel? Well, I think that if um, QSI and Nasser Al-Khalifi did not write into the contract things that would impact any like force majeure, issues, acts of God, disasters, ending of the season, um, paying people on a per-game basis, if they didn't write those things into the contract, then shame on them. Mm-hmm. Let's start with that. Um, I think that that's just uh, nonfeasance of the highest order um, to not have well-written contracts in 2020 uh, that manage these things for you. That being said, um, you know, players, a lot, lots of players at the, at the, where it would really cost PSG are also managing things other than their performance on the pitch. They're managing their Q rating. They're managing their perception. They're managing their brand. And it doesn't help their brand if PSG can put a message out that while other people are sacrificing during this time, and while we're identifying essential workers as heroes, players want to be petulant. So I think that that negotiation is probably happening behind the scenes. Um, and it's probably smart for the players to start off with, well, you wrote a poor contract. This is my money. Yeah. Um, and then for the the process to play out, I think in the end, uh, players, particularly players who are getting paid on contracts regardless of play. Uh, we'll start to make those adjustments because they don't want to be seen in that bad light. That's a very good point. Paula, what do you think about the players not wanting to uh, lower their wages? Well, I like Mel's point about their branding and that that could be hurt. Um, honestly, if the New Zealand government can take a 20% pay cut for six months in solidarity with the regular people, I think so could uh, football players, especially those high earners who have a lot of uh, brand ambassador deals. And um, I, I think in the long run, they will not lose a lot, even if they earn, you know, just a few million less. <laughs> I think Mbappe <laughs> you know, and Neymar earn like, what, a million to combined every week or something like that? Like, yeah. it's insane. Right. I mean, if you, and it's hard for me to be sympathetic um, because, you know, if, if we're looking at 
front office staff taking pay cuts mm-hmm. and we're looking at billionaires not willing to compromise a little bit it it just doesn't seem fair and it could actually do hurt their brand and i know that they do donate to charity and mbappe has done it a number of times so you know that's great um you know and i understand this is their money it's it's earned fair and square and all that and if they don't have that clause in the contract they actually have some room to negotiate yes but you know think about your your brand long term and your brand is tied to the perception of you in the eyes of the fans and not only fans you know and i think the the ones that will be loved the ones whose jerseys will be sold are the ones that will be visible here as showing solidarity with with the fans and uh, you know and with the front office staff so i'm like guys all right take a small pay cut but in the long run you're going to do something good for for the people around you and for your brand yeah it's interesting oh go ahead i don't want it to be the same sort of percentage across the board i think that this needs to be really thought through Mm -hmm. i think tangi kawasi for example um can't afford you know some of the percentages that we might be talking about the neymar and mbappe right so you might find top end players going, well, if everybody and I'll take it. Well, that 15% can mean a lot of different things for players way down on the totem pole, mm-hmm. right? So I think it ought to be a graduated scale that ought to make sense. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, imagine Neymar and, and Mbappe being able to go on social media and go, you know, I'm giving away a good portion of my salary, hashtag anything for Paris. Right. You know, they would be mm-hmm. loved forever. You know, um, versus having a hashtag come down on them saying, you know, petulant play hashtag petulant players. You know, they don't want that. So yeah, they don't want to be called. You know, I also um, wanted to add that I have friends here in in Paris and in France who are on what's called chômage partiel, which is part-time unemployment. So they were forced into the situation, and they're making you know regular office salary. So you know, I think a lot of people will look at this, and be like, okay, well, if regular folks can be forced into the situation, why are players different? Especially since you know they don't need another mansion. You know, so yeah. <laughs> I think the the public opinion will be on the side of uh, you know cutting their salaries a little bit. We do know that I believe it's Tiago Silva and Marquinhos who are negotiating on behalf of the players and they're going back and forth with the club. And it's almost like a jury where someone's not guilty unless everyone can agree. So maybe Neymar and Mbappe are like, sure, yeah, we're, we're fine with that. Maybe it is like what Mel was saying. Maybe it's Kwasi saying, hey, guys, hold up. I can't afford to take 50% less or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it could be one of the players who are on the lower end of the pay scale holding things up. We don't really know what the deal is. But it's not like half the team can forfeit their wages the other half i mean it's got to be a collective and getting that many egos to agree at one time could be difficult so hopefully something (laughs) can come about this but as a side note to this we know that tiago silva and, and several other players are at the end of their contract and they're talking about maybe extending them maybe cavani and silva if they're not willing to like reduce salaries now let's just assume that maybe they're not is it possible to extend their contract and assume that they would take a lower salary for the next year or maybe two years, whatever length the extension is. If they cannot get a better offer from another club, I mm-hmm. think um, at this point in their career, they'll be more willing to take a lower uh, salary. And, and you would think PSG, if they did extend, say, Edinson Cavani, they would expect him to take less money, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. substantially yeah. less. They expect him to take less money. His argument will be, the mileage that he would have put on in the second half of the season he didn't put on, mm-hmm. 
But their argument will be age is age. And, mm -hmm. you know, let's take a look at your numbers, particularly upon the arrival of uh, Icardi. Right. Um, and let's take a look at your missed chances, um, as we all know. So as much as I love Cavani and as much as I think his work ethic and willing to run back and willing to run the entire 90 minutes should be a cultural thing that infects the whole team. Um, the numbers are the numbers when it comes to that. So I think, yeah, they'll be asking for him to take much less in salary. And then yeah, briefly, nothing to add there. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. And then briefly, we're talking about extending contracts, but in terms of the transfer market, Mel, you've already alluded to a lot of things are still fluid and need to be decided before that we can even really talk about that. But just in general, do you see PSG making any of their you know, typical big signings whenever the window does open? Or do you think they're going to be very frugal at least for this window coming up? I think coronavirus hasn't, you know, it's, I still have on plus grand. I still, I still dream big. <laughs> I dream more now. So cool. Still thinking about bringing Griezmann home. Mm -hmm. I'm still thinking about Alex Tellis. You know, yeah. I saw that rumor pop up. I thought that that was lovely. Uh, I, you know, I, I dream about that type of stuff. Um, so I think um, if you if you pay attention to what, what you know, what we can discern of the mind of Kalefi, mm -hmm. he's going to continue to dream and he's going to try and find a way to be very frank, to take great advantage of the uncertainty if he can. Right? And he's not the only one that's trying to do it, yeah. but he does have inordinate resources. So, yeah, I think. I think we're going to continue to dream big, and whenever the next season starts, I think we want to be well positioned with with maybe opportunities that would not have presented themselves without this crisis. And we do know that financial fair play could be relaxed somewhat, so that's something that could help. Mm -hmm. uh, Paula, do you see us making any big signings, or a little bit more conservative? A little bit more on the conservative side okay. for the time being, but at the moment the club feels like it's back on its financial feet, then they'll attack again. Yeah. And and Mel, you mentioned Tellez. I mean, that's that's a big name. That's a really good signing, but also at a really low budget. I saw 22 million euros, something like that, for a player of his quality. I think that's a, a great bargain price. Um, yeah, I mean, Juan Bernat solves that problem on the left side. I've heard that Tellus is willing to play either side, but we know his strength is left back. Um, I'd like to see competition. Uh, Kurzawa is not competition for Bernard on left, left back. Um, I'd like to see competition for Bernard on left back, for Mounier right back. Um, and I'd like to see another uh, midfield or um, uh, frontline signing. Um, you know, it's interesting because at the center back position, well, center back, right back, Tiel is just beginning to show that he could begin to be trusted again mm -hmm. uh, after some of the um, indecision that he had in European competition the last time he was fully trusted. Yeah. And I think Diallo has fit in very nicely. Um, and so if you can extend, we talked about extensions earlier, if we can mm -hmm. extend Thiago Silva a little bit uh, for a little bit less salary, mm -hmm and have Tiago Silva and Marquinhos have a full season to hand over to folks like Diallo and Kim Pembe uh, and hold on to Kowasi. I don't think we need much there. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it's a shame, and you'll probably get to this, but it's a shame because I really felt like this might have been the year. And Champions League is still 
really felt like this was the year to put a whole bunch of things together and maybe do a uh, a triple. But. Yeah. Well, we can. Yeah. You mentioned the Champions League; it's still a possibility. Uh, that's the next topic I wanted to talk about. It's expected to resume in August. Um, Paula, we were kind of talking about this before we actually hit the record button. But mm-hmm. is, do you think that PSG is at a disadvantage? Let's assume most of the other leagues continue to resume their season, and then those teams in those leagues that are in the Champions League then jump over and compete in that tournament in, in August. Whereas here's PSG. By the time August rolls around, they wouldn't have played a competitive match since March 11th against Dortmund. Do you see that as that? That has to be a competitive disadvantage, right? It's huge. Yeah. It's a huge disadvantage. I mean, just when we overcame something that we didn't think would be done, going into that game in Dortmund uh, against Dortmund, I, I did not see this result. I, I was like mentally done, you know, <laughs> with Champions yeah. League again, and then that happened. And, yeah, terrible disadvantage, especially if we're not going to be able to play at home. So um, I, I mentioned earlier the level of fitness of our guys. And uh, before we hit the record button, we talked about Neymar uh, training with his dogs. That's not enough to compete in uh, the Champions League. Um, so, you know, I don't believe in sports curses, but I, I might start because, I mean, come on, after the last three seasons and we don't want to go over what happened again. You know that game happened in uh, against Dortmund, and and then bam, you know it's like come on, it's like we cannot catch a break in the Champions League. Training with your so, dog, um, maybe you can beat Marseille, but you're probably not going to be able to beat Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's safe to say. Okay, this is very tweetable. Yeah, we should, I Marseille. think, go online now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mel, do you see this as a, as a disadvantage, like Polo, or do you think maybe all of this rest will have Neymar? He'll be fully fit, ready to go. I mean, is that a plus side, maybe? I think both those things are true. Exactly right is that we won't be at a competitive level. We won't have our edge if other players continue to play and we're not playing. Mm -hmm. It's also true that um, our players will be fully healed. Um, But that's actually those two things are probably the worst combination because you go in fully healed, you stretch to meet the competitive challenge, and you can get in. So Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that. That's another reason why Liga is going around and saying, let's all shut down. Mm-hmm. Let's make this competitively equitable. Um, mm-hmm. And so that if teams, if UEFA for some reason does continue, which I think itself is a 50-50 proposition, but if they do continue with the Champions League, um, then it'll everybody will be optimistic. That's a good point. I'm going to throw a curveball at you guys here. One thing that I've been thinking about through all of this with all the different leagues and all the different moving parts, would it not be easier just to have like the Super League that everyone's kind of been talking about in recent years and just have the top teams of all the the big leagues come together in one league and then wouldn't it be much easier to solve all this problem? Do we really want that? That's a real curveball. Would that be fun? (laughs) I'm just saying it would solve a lot of these problems if we ever have another global pandemic. I, you know I, what? Okay, I, I, I'll strike a deal with you. Okay. Let PSG win Champions League, and then I'll think about it. <laughs> okay. All right, deal. That's a good deal. And then you can do whatever you want once, once we get it. <laughs> Fair I enough. I have thought about the Super League as the last uh, stop on the train. Okay. I think if we ever go to a Super League, um, we'll, that will run its course, and then that, that'll sort of be the end, and we'll have to go back to the beginning of something because – for me, you know, clubs really are supposed to spring from communities 
mm-hmm. that they're in and that they ostensibly serve. Uh, and a super league sort of says, you know, there's no relegation, there's no promotion. It's just this thing that happens on and on, no matter what. And, you know, it's sort of like the NFL and the, and there's some strengths and weaknesses of that, but I think there's more weaknesses than strengths. So. Super league sounds more like a way to make money uh, and not to do something for the fans, for the supporters and the communities that Mel mentioned. So. Interesting. I haven't made up my mind on it. It's just something that I've been thinking about with all of this. It'd just be so much easier, you know, if you just had one massive league and one decision and all the big teams knew exactly what they were doing, as opposed to now where it's like one league's doing this and the other league's doing that. And they're all coming together in one other tournament and disadvantages. And it seems like it's all over the place. But getting back to our our topics here, I wanted to ask Germany has been thrown out as a possibility as where PSG could maybe train or play their home game for the Champions League. Does that make sense? The Bundesliga seems like it's going to be moving forward. Do you think someone on Twitter said, can we play at Monaco Stadium? Um, where do you see PSG training and playing there? At least we know they'll have one home game for the Champions League. Uh, Paulo, what would you? what would be your preference? <laughs> well, my preference would be no coronavirus and everything yeah. is back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, starting let's let's go back to the actual situation in France. Let's not forget about uh, what's happening May 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be able to travel a hundred kilometers from uh, where we live. Um, I mean, how do you how do you see teams traveling to a specific location? You know, um, I think it will be difficult to logistically with that in place. I really don't think so. I don't know. So we know that, you know, no major sporting events could happen before September. So mm-hmm. that would leave out the Parc de Princes hosting any kind of game um, for the Champions League. I wouldn't think that you could train, although I think PSG is waiting for some clarification on that. I think they would like to be in their training facilities, obviously. But Mel, if, if that's not possible, if they say no training in, in Paris and you can't play any games... What is PSG to do? Nasser has said that we'll go wherever and whenever you know we need to. I think it's a great sports infrastructure, but light and low population. Mm. One of the places to consider is Scotland. Mm. And part of the reason I say that is because I lived there for two years and I lived in Sterling um, and Sport UK and the EU were robust funders of sport infrastructure in Scotland. And Scotland only has 8 million people, right? Which is like five eighths of Paris, right? Uh, in the whole country. So you could find spots to train that have been really fitted out and kitted out great that didn't have a lot of people. Um, and then you could jump in and maybe play your games at Hamden which is an outstanding world-class stadium. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that's 100 kilometers from from the French shores, but mm. <laughs> it's a lot more, I yeah. think. But um, if you had to go abroad, uh, that would be, that, would, that, that was what came to mind immediately because I know mm-hmm. the combination of infrastructure and low population. You know, along the lines of Monaco, maybe 
since it's on the mainland, maybe that wouldn't work. And I was thinking maybe somewhere Corsica, you know, some island somewhere that's a right. that right. would work. You know, somewhere it's very isolated, almost like Scotland, a smaller version, obviously. But yeah, um, finding a place to go play is going to be difficult. You know, having the facilities and are they going to be willing to supply all of the cleaning stuff and everything, all the procedure. I mean, it's just a nightmare logistically to yeah. take a, a team like PSG and move them elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. And not just the you team, think, all the staff, yeah, everybody. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You think that UEFA right now, you know, at front offices right now are trying to figure their, their uncertainties out. You think UEFA is going through all of these specific logistics as well, right? What would it actually take to move a team and all of their, support and logistics somewhere to play something um and hopefully they come to the same conclusion that league on comes to uh which is you know what this year let's just let's just make it a wrap this year yeah, as much as i want to see psg win a champions league um i don't think that this is the way we're going to win it but uh, it, let, let's assume that it does go on and let's say psg win it is anyone really going to give them credit for winning it you know, who I, cares? Yeah. <laughs> Let's win it. Yeah. I definitely will. Yeah. I know we will, yeah. but, you know, I, I think a lot of people will be like, well, they, you know, they had so much rest. They didn't play for four months or something like that. And even though hey, we know that's a Winning ugly different... is still winning. <laughs> that's right. You still get the trophy. <laughs> While we're taking a quick water break, we wanted to share a great podcast with you from the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Will and Dave from the Read Option Podcast. Your go-to source for Pac-12 football. No matter your team in the conference, we're going to cover them. Find us and other great podcasts on BigHeadsMedia.com or anywhere you can find great podcasts. Um, we did get a few questions from Twitter, and I wanted to, to run through some of those. So this one comes from at GatorBait underscore Ethan, and he wants to know, clear up the transfer outlook. And so he's, like all of us, we see transfers every day. What's legit? And where do we stand? We know that there's a couple priorities um, that Leonardo has come out and said, um, like a backup goalkeeper was one of them, a tall midfielder, and I believe it was uh, either left back or right back, um, some kind of defender there. So I think we already talked about Telus. I think that's a deal that's probably close, and as soon as something with the coronavirus clears up a little bit and the window we know is going to open, I think that's a deal that could get done. But do you see any other names out there that you think are realistic? I can start with you, Paula. You know what? I don't necessarily see anybody. I can tell you that I'm hoping for um, some defenders just because I always complain about defense. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, and, and they mentioned Onana at uh, Ajax and um, uh, Donnarumma is another goalkeeper. Those will be expensive backup goalkeepers. Uh, Mel, do you think one of those guys are coming in or maybe somebody else? You know, I think that uh, Sergio Rico is, it was a very solid backup in terms of uh, the pedigree that he came from and the mindset that a backup needs to have. Right. Uh, I think that you want competition at the goalkeeper at every position, but the competition at goalkeeper is different mm. in that um, when you go back and forth on goalkeepers, a lot of confidence gets lost. Um, and so we need somebody who is proven. I like Navas. I don't have a problem with Navas at all. Um, and then somebody who can step in, can win cup matches, um, Coupe de la Ligue, or we don't have Coupe de la Ligue anymore, but 
Um, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Coupe de France, other cup matches, and and be ready to step in if need be. Uh, but understand that their role is to help that number one be ready every week. Um, that's I think I feel a little different about goalkeeper. Yeah, I do think you know one of the things that we didn't mention, um, and you just you just hit on it a little bit mm-hmm. is, you know, uh, Adrisagana Gay is not a destroyer defensive midfielder. And Leandro Paredes is not a destroyer defensive midfielder. Uh, Gay is more of a box-to-box central midfielder, Matuidi type, when he's healthy. And Paredes is a sentinel. He's a he's a drop-deep midfielder who likes to distribute the ball. Um, we still do not have a Tiago Mata replacement that makes that back four confident that someone's going to destroy play in, in the midfield. And so I don't know who that player is, but, you know, as I mentioned, left back, right back before on my dream list, I still think that that Tiago Mata destroyer defensive midfielder is very important for PSG's playing style to free up Baranti and others. Yeah. Bakayoko, who's uh, on loan at uh, Monaco, he fits physically what you would want in a position like you're talking about, but Chelsea's going to want, I think I saw a report, they're going to want $40 million for him or something like that. So I think that's too expensive. Um, I, to answer the question a little bit more, I think I would say anytime you see a transfer linking PSG to someone in Italy, I would say maybe take that a little bit more credible just because we know Leonardo loves talent out of Serie A. So if you see a rumor like that, definitely take it a little bit more seriously than maybe you know signing whoever from the Premier League uh, overpriced player. Twitter questioner, if you can get a sense of who the agents are that represent players, you know, there are certain agents that tend to have better relationships with PSG than other agents or, or have a junior business. PSG than other agents, Mino Raiola is a great example of that, right? So if you have a player who's under, who has that person as an agent, um, and you start hearing things um, just like Leonardo with Italy that might have credibility. That's a very good point. Uh, this one comes from at PSG AJ, and I might have to enlighten you guys. I don't know if you've been checking social media as much, but what do you make of the cryptic messages we've seen from Leonardo, Neymar, and Mbappe? So Leonardo on Instagram just posted a white square. Neymar posted something. It was a picture of him with like the little eyeballs looking, and then Mbappe posted something where it was like, everybody's talking, but nobody knows. Miss my teammates. <laughs> what is this something or nothing? <laughs> It could be that Leonardo doesn't know what he's doing on his phone, but <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I, I mentioned before that um, there's lots of voices saying that this situation is helping us keep these two guys uh, on the squad, um, and I think these messages might be pointing in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know that Neymar's been or is going to be offered some lucrative contract extension. They're working on that. And I saw another report that said PSG remains positive about extending Mbappe's contract. So we know that they're very good friends. So maybe this was a coordinated social media post to kind of allude to what's coming down the pipeline. And hey, okay. they've got no football to play for a couple months now. So let's just get the contract extended. Mbappe said he wasn't going to do anything, sign anything until the end of the season. Well, part of the season's over now. So uh, maybe that's what's coming up. Mel, what do you make of these messages on social media? Oh man, the alchemy, the social alchemy. I, I, I have no idea. You know, what's funny about social media is that small, you could think something's very small and it ends up being this big thing that people take a slight with. Uh, and then something that you think 
is a big deal, they brush off. So I, I, I have no idea. I do know um, that uh, Mbappe and Neymar are what's called purposeful posters. <laughs> so when they post something, it's to move something, mm-hmm. whether it's to move brand, to move sneakers, cleats, to move uh, to get somebody to think about something. They don't post without a purpose. And they're so probably not met, even doing the posting. He's probably telling somebody, hey, do this. Right. He's probably got a guy that, you know, in his entourage. That's why he can't take a pay cut because the social media guy is making all the money. I'm um, not mad about that. <laughs> but Leonardo is different, you know. So I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's all, as always, it's going to be very interesting to watch this play out. But uh, I would not put any money on any of my predictions as to what that means yeah the white square is that reference to real madrid or is that like that's the first thing i <laughs> what is going on so someone else wanted to know we we've already kind of talked about it a little bit but this was from at jade underscore v001 and they wanted to know when do we think the team will be back in training will it be we didn't mention this qatar they mentioned as a possibility what about the coupe de france coupe to the league of finals could they be played in august could it be played outside of france the schedule is going to be crazy in August with the quarterfinal of the Champions League. They just can't. It seems they were kind of rambling here, but kind of like us, like how is this all going to play out? Take any part of that and chime in on any of it if you want. Right. Well, maybe I can go. Um, yeah. I think August seems likely because um, you know even after the announcement of the Prime Minister that League One closes and no games till September, there were. Articles online a few hours later saying, okay, there are still some negotiations about August because of these uh, these tournaments that still need to be finished, Coupe de la Ligue and Coupe de France. And I feel like they might happen in August, perhaps behind closed doors, no fans. So I'm leaning towards August. And again, I'm thinking about, you know, living in France and seeing how many deadly cases we have of the coronavirus. Um, this current government is not willing to take uh, a lot of chances. And... Just the other day, Prime Minister was talking about having to discipline uh, French people who don't observe the lockdown. So don't expect um, training to happen in, let's say, June or July. I think we're looking more at August. We need some of that discipline here in the United States. We've got people hanging out at the beach and everything else. Sorry, go ahead, Mel. Oh, uh, you know, I, I see that same stuff. <laughs> Just astonished. But um and June and July are probably the worst months to go train in guitar. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so don't I they have those the air Cup. conditioned stadiums for the World Cup? Are they not built? Yeah, yet? I was going to say. Remember that they had all those renderings of floating air conditioning drones that yeah. were going to hover people and keep them cool and all this crazy technology because it's ridiculous in June and July. So I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, the, I think what we started is where I would finish, which is there's a reason Liga is reaching out to these other leagues. And I think if you see agreement across the football, club football world, I think that's going to be a lot more easy, a lot easier than to, than to predict. And I think that's why they're reaching out is because the same confusion and questions that can go in any direction that that questioner had Mm -hmm. is is the environment right now and we need to forge some certainty i think that governing bodies reaching out to each other saying let's agree uh, is the beginning of that 
you know, we all want the Champions League to return, and I just wonder what is really lost if you just canceled all of the seasons in Europe, cancel the Champions League, and just say, September, we're going to start it fresh. It, like, what's really lost in all that? It's just a couple more months. We've gone this long. Money. Yeah, money. But the game, I mean, the people who make all the money have enough money. They don't really need more, do they? Lots and lots of money. <laughs> now, the, the, the real loss is really, you know, what the supporters are losing. That's true. The PSG yeah. supporters especially. You know, I'm, I'm not concerned with the millionaires. They'll be fine, you yeah. know. It's, it's just for us as fans, you know, this particular season. This was supposed to be the season, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still think back to the, the images of the win against Dortmund and yeah, it was just incredible, and it's a shame that that's the last time we're going to see PSG until at least August, but we'll see. Um, at Alshish underscore Lava, I love that name, they want to know what do we think the team will look like in 2022? I guess maybe they're alluding to will Mbappe or Neymar still be here? I'm inclined to say yes. Will maybe Alshish and Tenge Kwase still be here? Do you see a team of superstars, or do you see a team of academy players? Or a mixture, kind of like we have now. Uh, Polo, what do you think? Oh, go ahead, Mel. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sure, go ahead. <laughs> I look I look at it the way that um, Messi deals with Barcelona. In that, throughout his prime, he always, when contract time was, was arrived, he would always say, my focus is on if Barcelona is going to put out a club that compete can compete at the highest level. And as long as they can compete at the highest level, he was comfortable. Um, and But he had to see it that way. Right. And I think that we can do the same thing for Killian. We can come to him and say, we're going to continue to put a club out and do what's required so that we can compete at, at the highest level. And you're not going to find a better club anywhere else. You might find a club of the same stature of players but you're not going to find a better club anywhere else and as long as we do that then we can compete effectively to keep him um neymar's 27 um so he should be close to the last couple big contracts that he's going to get wait i think he turned 28 in february yeah he did turn 28 you're right turned 28 so um his situation is different and in 2022, I think it's just as likely that he would not be with us as be with us because he's going for those big last paydays. Mm-hmm. And if I had to choose between the two, um, I'd choose to invest in Mbappe because the upside is similar to Neymar's peak, but we'll get it for longer. So. Good point. Paula, what do you think? What's the team going to look like in 2022? Well, you know, for a while I've been, I've been thinking that this is just too good to be true and to last too long and that we're going to get back to not being uh, on top of the table and we're not going to be uh, this team of superstars. And um, I think it's going to be a mix. We cannot just, we cannot go from Mbappe and Neymar to being a team of, you know, academy players. Um, I think it will, a lot will depend on the financial standing of the team going forward, um, future ownership. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we have a year of Mbappe, maybe two years of Neymar. This is just 
these are just two numbers that have been in my head for a while. And I don't know how willing Neymar will be to stay with us if Mbappé goes. I think him playing, these two guys playing together, I think that's one of the reasons that he's still here and he's putting in some effort. And his age really is a factor. I think what you guys are saying about him going for that one last big contract, you know, it, it, that's, that's going to make him leave eventually. So I'm thinking, you know, next season, not too many changes. These transfers are uncertain right now. 2022, yeah, we're going we're gonna to lose these guys, I think. Um, and I, I don't think we'll be able to afford um, replacements at this kind of level. Yeah, the contract extensions that have been rumored would keep both of them at the club until 2025. Um, and if you think, okay, maybe they'll leave in 2022 or whatever, yeah. what what club could realistically sign them and pay them the wages that they want? And while also building a team around them, and there's really one or two options, and are they really that much better than PSG? I don't know. Well, I think we could all agree that Barca and Neymar is not going to happen. Or Yeah, no. Yeah, but I but I still see Real Madrid and Mbappe um, happening. I still see this as a possibility. Absolutely. Um, last question here is from at NFFC uh, eighteen sixty five HB, and they want to know how do PSG break through the glass ceiling and move from domestic dominance to European stage and make the case for themselves, assuming with or without Neymar. Well, we saw them break kind of break through the glass ceiling with the win against Dortmund and. I thought that was going to propel them forward and we were going to lift the trophy, but now they got to do it all over again. So Mm -hmm. how do they get up for it, whether it's this season or or next season? I mean, just keep that, just remember that night against Dortmund and just kind of play it again over and over in your head and keep that same mentality or do they need more players? Well, keep that same mentality to start with, you know, play as a team. Do they have you know, the squad? Do they have a squad capable of winning the Champions League going into next season, you think? I don't think PSG knows this yet. Yeah. <laughs> definitely not a right back because we're, we're going to probably lose Mounier. And yeah, we definitely need the, uh, reinforcements there. Mel, what do you think? I plan on writing a piece about this uh, on the web- website. But yeah. I've just finished the documentary from Netflix and ESPN called The Last Dance. Yes. Ah, I'm still watching. Wait, you've you've got all <laughs> ten parts. Uh, well, yeah. I, yes, that's another that's another story. Nice. Okay. Well, we might have to talk after this. <laughs> another story. Um, and the reality is that that's a it's just a case study for some of the other things that I've also posted on the site around psychology mm-hmm. of these players and. The, the journey that, Jer- that Jordan goes on from being an elite player, getting his stats, to becoming open to a different style that makes everyone else better uh, is something that is really struck at the highest level of performance that I think if PSG can play, pay attention to, then they can use these steps you know, that we've seen as fans as just heartbreaking as steps along the way to becoming a champion and sustaining level performance. And I uh, invite everyone who within the sound of our voices to, to try and get a hold of that documentary, uh, The Last Dance. Uh, it's a Netflix and ESPN 
collaboration. Um, and yes, it's about basketball, but it's about more than that. It's about the psychology uh, and commitment that's required to maintain high levels of performance. And there's a lot for us to learn uh, and apply uh, with the PSG situation in, in that work. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Mel, I'm so glad you mentioned it, not because not only because I used to live in Chicago and I used to play basketball, but um, so far I've watched a couple of episodes. But to me, this is, it, the, it's that psychology you mentioned. Um, this is about the, the last season after they've won so much and there was, they were the team in Chicago back then and there was so much pressure going into this season. And PSG has so much pressure going into the Champions League, whether it's this season or next season. And to me, and I was discussing this with a friend the other day, actually, to me, the last dance is about giving your best, even if when you know that this is your last chance, you know, doesn't matter what happened, where you're going to sign after that. So in our case, doesn't matter where Mbappe, Neymar and others go. You have that one shot. This, this is it. This is now do your best and be a team and, and motivate each other to, to play just like you played against Dortmund. So I, I do hope that, that the players sit down and binge watch that show. The next season could very I much be... A type of Jordan level success that Bulls level success for themselves. Um, it's the best way to build their brand, even if they're thinking about themselves. Um, mm -hmm. It also cements a legacy. Yeah, I used to work for ESPN, so that might give you mm -hmm. some insight as to. Nice. <laughs> well, well, I want to read your piece, Mel. <laughs> yeah, we're looking forward to that. And, I, and I'll say, if, you know, next season, if both uh, Neymar and Mbappe say it could very much be PSG's last dance in order in, in terms of winning the Champions League with those two players, because who knows what the future will hold. So, well, before this podcast goes into a Chicago Bulls podcast, let's uh, wrap it up here. That's all of our questions. Thank you, everyone who sent uh, questions in. We couldn't get to everyone's, but hopefully we answered some of your questions earlier in the show. Um, Mel, real quick, if you want to let people know, you already mentioned one piece you want to work on, but let people know how they can find you on Twitter or elsewhere or plug anything you like. And then, Paula, we'll go to you next. So go ahead. Yeah, keep an eye on our website. Be sure to check out all the outlets of PSG Talk and PSG Talking. We are, uh, as you know, the premier um, English language PSG podcast, and I'll be dropping a couple of pieces, uh, lots of time to write right now. So I'll be dropping a couple pieces for the site uh, uh, after they're approved by it. Yeah. And uh, just <laughs> looking forward to it. And Paula, anything you want to plug or how can we find you on social media? Of course, go to psgtalk.com and check out the podcast, check out the articles. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jetting Around. Uh, I, I like to travel, what can I say? Um, you know, the, the, I was talking to Ed about writing a, a piece um, about how to get to Parc des Princes. I think this mm -hmm. one is going to have to wait a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I would agree with that. And um, yeah, thank you all for plugging the site. I always appreciate it. We had a, a couple of pieces from a new writer, uh, Nicholas Douglas, and he wrote about PSG's definitive seasons, which was really good. Um, going back in the history, there was a season where PSG was almost relegated. So uh, definitely seek those out on the website. If you're a relatively new fan, it'll teach you a few things about PSG's past. They weren't always as good as we are now. So enjoy the championships that, while we have them, because who knows how long it'll last. Um, yeah, say thank you to our idea. Yes. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch up with you guys next time. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.